Welcome to the Producer Podcast. This is the show where we talk to electronic music producers from around the world. We ask them how they're making their music, what they're doing in the studio, how they're getting their songs out there and heard, how they're topping the charts in Beatport, in this case, number one. And uh, the whole goal of the show is to help you guys out there become better musicians yourselves, better producers, get your music out there and get it heard. Now, we always have killer producers on the show. This show is definitely no different. I'm really happy to have Filter Bear joining us today, calling us from Sydney, Australia. What's going on, man? Hey, Steve, how are you going? I'm doing really good on this Friday night, which equals your Saturday morning. That's right. We're all messed up here. <laughs> I'm glad, glad to be on your show, and thank, thank you very much for um, having me on. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself to get started and you know, what you're up to these days, what kind of music you're doing. Yep, so my, my real name is Michael Lockshin, and uh, I DJ and produce under the name of Filter Bear, as you know. I'm 26 years old, and originally I'm actually from Russia, and I've been living in Sydney since I was 10. So, yeah, and I produce music that kind of floats between various genres of house. Um, you know, like I, I do deep house, deep tech, techno, even some chill out and ambience stuff i do vocal house so i kind of you know i float everywhere in between and i i sort of like not to define it to one specific style i mean for me it's more about the way i like to describe it is you know as long as the music has melody and soul um everything else is kind of secondary yeah i was so, yeah. actually i was actually going to bring that up i was going to because your facebook the first line of your bio is like i have only two rules melody and soul <laughs> yeah that's great. Yeah, that's right. And your yeah. music definitely shows that. It's very chill and just pleasant to listen to, you know? I really like it. Thanks, man. That's, that's pretty much what I'm going for. I, and as long as it's, you know, I, I mean, to me, dance music generally is about, you know, making people happy. So even though I respect, you know, the darker styles, I, I think that, you know, the whole point of it is to make people want to party. And, you know, that's why... I, whether you're partying or just sort of chilling out, relaxing, you want it to be, you know, good vibes. And that's why, that's what I'm trying to get with my music, I guess. That's really cool. It definitely comes yeah. through. And I, that's really what I love most about electronic music is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. It's, you could listen to pop for so long and other genres for so long. And then you find like this, which is designed to make people happy and want to go out and dance. And, you know, you can't beat that. Yeah. And, you know, like there's always times when you want to, you actually want to hear some more darker stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty important, I think, to keep in mind at the end of the day, you're trying to make people dance and happy. And if you get too carried away, you can sort of lose that a bit. Yeah. I'm with you. Hmm. Well, cool stuff. How did you come up with the name Filter Bear? Because I love that name. Oh, thanks. Um, to be honest, I wish I had a better story than what it is. <laughs> um, I mean, when when I started producing music, I, I was doing it with my production partner, Luca Sunbay. And um, we actually had a duo called 27 Sundays, which is kind of still, it's still there, but um, a bit, it's a bit on, you know, on hold at the moment. But anyway, um, I wanted to start sort of making a solo career as well. And I needed a name and I didn't want to use my real, my real name just, you know, to keep two things separate. Yeah. And, I I was making music at the time. I had something in front of me that had a filter on it. And 
it was honestly as easy as that. And then the word bear, I guess, because I'm Russian, a bear is a little bit of a side reference to me being Russian. Um, also, my, my Russian name, Misha, is also like a playful, some, sometimes the playful word for it is, is a bear. So it's a bit, you know, complicated, but um, <laughs> the bear... The bear side of it is a Russian reference and filter is, I guess, a music reference. So that's that's what it is, really. Um, it's cool. And it really fits, yeah. especially, you know, electronic music with filter. It's just cool. I like it. Thanks, man. Now, uh, you said you, well, how did you, you, you touched on a little bit there, but how did you get started making this kind of music? So, I mean, I was always into music because of, you know, my grandmother was a professional pianist, so... The music, music was always around me when I was young and I started playing saxophone when I was younger. Um, I was in a sort of a local band for quite a number of years. Um, but electronic music came from DJing first. Um, you know, I started with the whole, I mean, it's a pretty common path. Like I started making mashups just to, you know, get the cool electro tracks at the time and make my own edits with them. Um, and to do that, I downloaded Ableton and I used Ableton purely just to make mashups for a few years and hmm. started getting better at that. And I guess the next logical step was to try and actually make something of my own. Um, and yeah, like I mentioned before, my production partner from very early on was Lucas Sambe, who's actually one of my neighbors. He's an, a good friend of mine and he's an, he's a neighbor as well. And we just decided one day that we should really, you know, put our heads down and learn how to make original music. And we formed um, our duo, 27 Sundays. You know, that's really cool. And I'm always jealous when producers come on the show and they have a production partner or somebody that they've collaborated a lot with, because it seems mm -hmm. like just so much, I mean, there is a place for being an individual in the studio, but it just seems like so much fun to have somebody to bounce something off of and to keep each other going, you know? Is that how it works for you guys? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We, because we were friends first, obviously it really helped that, you know, we were very, we had a good vibe together. And when it comes to the music itself, you know, we really had a nice workflow going, even though at the start we both had no idea what we were doing. Hmm. Um, you know, we were obviously music lovers first, so we, we kind of knew what we were, where we wanted to get to. And, you know, we, at the start, we kind of just literally, like everyone does, we wanted to sort of just copy the things that we liked at the time. And, you know, we had a lot of fun just learning the program. And, you know, we eventually got a, our first track signed, which at the time was really, really special and kind of just went from there. And, you know, we still make music together now um, as a collaboration. And, he, you know, with him, it's really easy because I've been making it, making music with um, Lucas Umbe for that long. But yeah, we kind of learned off each other. We both have our own sort of special things that we're better at. And, you know, like you said, we just bounce off each other. Yeah, that's really cool. Tell us about getting that first song signed. You said it was a special moment. What was it? What, how did that come about? Yeah, so we, as I said, we, we were really into, um, you know, this was about four or five years ago. So, you know, Electro and Progressive House was huge in Australia and the world, I guess. Um, so yeah, we just wanted to make a banger really. And we, <laughs> um, we made this song called caged and, you know, it had a big, big drums and a really big ripping bass line. And we finished the track and, you know, we used to 
go crazy in the garage once we <laughs> once we knew that we had a pretty big track at the time and we just started flooding labels i mean we were very um i think we were a bit too ambitious at the time <laughs> we started sending it to size records and things like that <laughs> um but at the end of the day we got signed to a pretty um decent local sydney label called um preston recordings yeah and yeah i mean at the time it was great and what did their label what was the label able to do for you um i mean the track itself to be perfectly honest with you it didn't exactly set the world on fire but okay. for us having it was honestly just seeing our name on beatport at the time which was really special because it just showed that at least you know there were people that believed in our track and they were happy to release it and you know we showed it we were playing it out a couple of times at our gigs and it was just a really cool thing to you know have something that you sat there and made in the garage all of a sudden is on sale to the world absolutely i can imagine that feeling yeah and, um, yeah you know speaking of you know uh, getting on beatport let's fast forward to now or at least like last month you know you're mm -hmm. on you're number one in the chill out section with your song untitled life so yes that congratulations on that thank you thank you very much now how did you pull that off oh you tell me <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean i'm sorry right, to honestly, put it so bluntly but i'm very curious you know it's like it's a great song and it you hit number one I, I love learning about the process yeah i mean i it's funny you mentioned that because that song has had a really long history in terms of you know, where it started and where it's ended up. But <laughs> it was actually one of the idea itself I had down very early on is when like I first started trying to do the solo thing as well. And it was one of those times where I just had this idea of using, you know, like a, a soulful kind of sample of a person talking and then having a very sort of chill out melody on top of it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the track went through a lot of reiterations. I had a 4-4 version where it was, you know, four kicks every time. But yeah. then the version that you're hearing is the sort of halftime version. Um, and, yeah, like the track went through a lot of different stages. I mean, finally when I got it signed to this label, New Eat Blanche, I think it's called. It's a bit hard to pronounce. <laughs> um, but it's a sister label of another... Um, label I've been working with, which is Big Mama's House Recordings. Okay. And, I mean, he believed in my track and he obviously thought it was more suited to a chill-out version. That's why he released it on the sister label. And I've started promoting it pretty heavily on my social media channels once it came out. And, I mean, I'm not trying to sound <laughs> stuck up, but I think out of all my music, this one in particular – obviously stood out to the people and that's why, you know, it started selling well and within a, a week or so it got into the top 10. Um, and I think it just went from there. That's so cool. That must have been a good feeling. Oh, it was, that, that is my best moment so far, I think. <laughs> that's funny because that was my next question. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we covered that. But um, yeah. When you see that, you know, up online, what do you do? Just have a giant party or what? Um, <laughs> in my head, no, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's just a really special feeling personally because, you know, when you sort of decide to dedicate 
a lot of your life to this. Um, seeing your your own work getting recognized to that level is really special. It just show it kind of reassures me that I'm on the right track. I mean, it definitely makes me hungrier to achieve more. And you know, I really want to start, you know, getting out there and sort of touring to different places, but you know, one step at a time, I think. Sure. Sure. Well, this is a good yeah. start. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Now, more on your career. What have you felt is the biggest challenge so far for you? And how did you overcome it? Um, I mean, I'm still overcoming, I guess, like everyone, you know, you just want to make your music heard. Yeah. And I think that these days, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, there's because this EDM is so huge. Um, there's too much, there's a lot of garbage out there, but I actually think the opposite. I think that because of so many people doing this, there's actually a hundred times more quality out there as well. Hmm. And the challenge is obviously trying to be a part of that quality and be a step above it as well. So I think, yeah, just trying to, um, get ahead of, you know, the pack and there's so many good producers out there that it's getting harder and harder, but it, at the same time, that's what motivates me. Yeah, that's really cool. I like yeah. that. And it's like, as the you know, as more and more people get into doing this, you really got to work harder, and your stuff has to be like perfect, like top notch. That's right, exactly. So, what have you found that really worked for you as far as getting your music out there and heard? Um, I think it's a combination of not rushing your song. So you want to make sure that you finish everything, but you also want to make sure that what you do end up with is quality. And once you, once you've got something that you're happy with, I think it's just a matter of seeking out different labels that you think will fit with your own style. So not necessarily just flooding every single label that you think is out there, but actually handpicking, you know, a good handful and contacting them in a, you know, polite way and doing everything properly. Um, and once you, you know, once you sort of narrow your sights, eventually one of the labels will take notice, especially if you keep sending them music. Um, the other one is, uh, I think what's great is also the ability to give out music for free. I mean, I've tried to make a couple of free tracks every now and then to just give out on SoundCloud for free. You know, um, I think that works really well because, if you're giving it out for free, I don't see any issues with doing a couple of edits or remixes of um, existing songs. And um, that way people will recognize instantly who you're remixing and obviously, you know, sparks a bit of interest. And yeah, everyone likes free stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's a great strategy. It obviously worked for you. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. All right, let's get a little bit into the studio here. You talked yeah. about using Ableton. Is that your DAW of choice? That's right. Yeah. Ableton 9. Sweet. Tell us about how you work with Ableton. Is there anything special about your workflow? Like when you create a song, how do you, how do, you do it? Um, I mean, I don't know if it's anything special, but I, I like to, I don't really have a set strategy when I go into the studio. I like to go in there with a certain idea and then it just kind of, develops from there i mean sometimes it can start with an idea just to use a certain sample like with a track i did called bella i really wanted to use the sound of the rain for some reason so i found an effect of heavy you know sort of downpour rain 
and just throw threw that into the Ableton and kept looping the, the rain and um, I'd you know just start playing things over it. Right. Whereas other times you don't have any samples and you just you open up a piano and start playing chords and, and see what happens from there. So that's I think that's the great thing about Ableton is that there is no you know set way that you have to work and that's what sometimes you know leads you to those great inspiration moments. Yeah, definitely. If anything, yeah. Ableton is such a blank slate. I mean, you just you just get the gray screen when you boot it up. Yeah, <laughs> it's. It, I mean, it could be. It's like the it's the devil and the angel at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How about favorite production tips? Do you do anything in Ableton that really has upped the quality of your productions that you could share with the guys? Um. Yeah. So, I mean, the one of the things that I've recently started doing is really focusing on EQing between different sounds. So not only them, the sounds themselves individually, but I, I'm now started to really pay attention to say things like kick and the bass. I'll analyze the frequencies of both and I'll sweep out the EQ of the, um, of the baseline out of the kick. So that way, the kick, the kick drum really has room to move in the mix. Um, so yeah, one of the that's a that's a really helpful thing that I've learned recently. Um, do you do that with I'm a side chain, like, or you just do it with straight EQ? I do it with the EQ. Okay. So yeah, so when it, sometimes you can do it with the side chain EQ, but um, if you wanted a constant presence, you you basically just sweep out that frequency, and that way the kick's always there on its own, yeah. not interfering with the bass. Right. Um, another really helpful one, which I actually learned of, um, I did. I went to one of those open tours of a local Sydney studio, and a really well-known um, mastering engineer was doing a talk there. And he told me this really helpful tip: is when once you are mixing your track, and um, you know how sometimes you sit there for hours and hours, and you just get lost into your own sort of head, and you can't remember what you're actually after in the first place. <laughs> he said to actually play your song, but walk out of the room and do something different. So for example, read a magazine and keep the song playing in the background. And what happens is because your brain is focusing on a separate task, so something like reading, but you're also hearing your song in the background, um, you'll, in this case, you'll probably notice the things that are really standing out. So if the hi-hat is too loud, for example, because you're hearing it in a peripheral hearing, if that makes sense, um, you'll pick out little details that you wouldn't have picked out if you were just sitting there in front of your studio. Huh. Um, That's a really cool so yeah. tip. Yeah, so try, trying to do little things like that just to improve the sound. That's really neat. Yeah. And I could totally picture how that would be. I mean, when you're in front of the screen, you're like so focused on certain pieces and it's like high stress, like sometimes, and it's just all in your face. But if you walk out, do something else, that's a great tip, man. I got to try that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Can you tell us your favorite plugin or plugins? Um, look, I don't, I think I love using all of the native instrument stuff because you know, even if you never buy a plug-in in your life, there's enough in there that will keep you busy for that, you know, yeah. whatever. You mean like complete? 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, complete. that's it's I've crazy. It's too much in there. It it is, and you know, we all get sucked into looking at those promo videos, and the next best thing comes out, and we all contemplate, you know, getting the credit card out. But I think um, I love using FM8 and Absinthe and all those sorts of things um, because, as you said, it's just endless possibilities. Um, and, you know, if you have too much, as you know, you'll, you'll get – I've heard a lot of guests say in, on your show, and it's true. Like if you have too many options, you just get lost in, in all that sort of stuff and you, you forget about actually trying to finish music. Right. Um, right. And I've, I've thought about what you said, just – using complete and nothing else. But there's something about just, I don't know whether it's boredom or I, I guess it's what you said when the next new and shiny thing comes along and it comes in your email box or whatever, and you watch the video, you just have to have that. Like, I don't know. I can, I can't picture myself for a long period of time sticking with one plugin or set of plugins. I just, I know myself and eventually I'm going to yeah. buy something else. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I'm guilty as, as of that as well. Like I do have other plugins for sure. But what I'm trying to say is I, I put now these days, I actually purposely limit myself to using a few different, very few plugins. So even like the Ableton native ones. Yeah. Just so I don't get sidetracked into playing cool sounds and, you know. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, man. I, I kind of do the same thing. Like per on a yeah. track per track basis. Like for this, I'll be like for this track, I'm just going to use a free synth, synth one or something like that. But yeah, uh, yeah. it's a good way to go. It's definitely a good way yeah. to go. Um, but but who I mm. I think I talked to my last guest about this too. Those new Native Instruments MIDI controllers, the keyboards. Have you seen them? Yeah, I've seen that. Oh man, have you played them? I haven't tested them out yet. No, I've I've seen all the videos and stuff. They look really cool. Like they've got the they show you where the scales are and the chords and everything's integrated with the software. I know. It looks so awesome. I actually, the thing I'm most curious about is the action, like the keyboard action. I really hope it feels like a synth and not like a, you know, like a piece of crap plastic MIDI controller. Like I really want it yes. to feel like a synth. That's, that would be the key. Like the heavy knobs and all the sort of the quality feel. Yeah. Like playing those keys. I hope they're like weighted or semi-weighted and, I, yeah. I got to get into that. Are you going to get it? I, you know what? Money is tight for me right now. So mm. if anybody wants to donate to the Steve Turbino fund, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you like the show and you want to buy me a, no, um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely want to get it. I, it might be one of my next purchases. How about yeah. you? You think you're going to get one? Uh, not the keyboard, but I think I'm really keen to get the complete 10 ultimate update because I've seen some of the new soft synths that they've got, like the action strings and um, all the sort of new um, set, because I love using sort of more live sounds and, yeah. you know, all the organic stuff. And there's like thousands of new samples in there. So I think rather than, you know, buying sample packs here and there, I think I might just bite the bullet and um, <laughs> get the upgrade soon. Yeah, very cool. Let me know how yeah. it goes. Mm -hmm. and prism actually is pretty cool it came with complete nine and uh i think it's underrated nobody talks about it that much but it's a reactor synth that's very cool had you ever used prism you know what's funny about prism that's what i made the baseline with on untitled life good that's awesome <laughs> yeah 
So that, when you mentioned that, like kind of organic, it, like Prism popped out at me because it has that like simulated string plucky feel. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it was actually very, very cool to make that baseline on, on that synth because it, you know, a few little tweaks here and there and it just sounded perfect. Oh, that's so cool. Good. Yeah. Somebody's using Prism. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else in your studio that you absolutely love? Any type of gear or anything? Um, I mean, I love my, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to invest in is my monitors. Yeah. Because as a lot of your guests have said, and, you know, we all know that they're one of your best tools to produce quality stuff because um, that's not to say that you, you know, you don't need expensive monitors because if you, if you know what they sound like, you can always make good stuff. But I bought um, Dyn Audio monitors which ones uh the bm6a mark twos sweet so it's a six inch woofer yeah so they're, they're not huge but yeah. um they're really nice sounding monitors and um you know ever since i bought them i've personally i've really noticed a bit of a you know jump in my sound which was great um how much do they run in these days i think they're they're around two, just under 3,000 wow. Australian. But in the, in the US, they're probably 2,500-ish. Wow. That's the kind of thing. See, monitors, just like room treatment, are not like the sexiest thing to buy. Like, uh, like a, a nice MIDI controller and a bunch of plugins are so much more, quote, fun to buy. Like, you know? Yep, yep, because... You see the results. <laughs> you hear the results as soon as you, you got them right. Yeah, but monitors. I, I'm with you, man. Like it has to be done. You have like, you know, if, like you said, everybody can get away with just knowing their gear really well. But I mean, a good monitor is designed to like let you hear every little piece of everything that's going on as accurately as possible. It's like it's kind of tough to beat. So you you feel yeah. like that was a definitely a worthwhile purchase then. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and at the same time, we can't forget that, you know, I've heard that Skrillex made that EP, the, um, whatever, I forgot what it was called, but the one that he broke through with, he made that EP on a laptop with a broken speaker. So he, <laughs> it just shows that, you know, you, you can still be hugely successful without any, any equipment. But I mean, in the long run, when you're sort of sitting, spending hours and hours trying to perfect different sounds, obviously having better sounding speakers really helps because, you know, you, you don't have to second guess what, what is happening right. It's right there in front of you. Right. And if you send it, your track to a label or something and the mix is all messed up, then you just kind of blew it right there. That's right. Cool stuff, man. Good mm. purchase. I'm a little Thanks. jealous there too. <laughs> So what's the best piece of advice from your experience thus far in your career that you could give to an aspiring producer? Um, I think everyone says it, but it, it's a cliche, I know, but originality is number one. So I think to achieve some degree of originality, the best thing I ever did was to stop watching YouTube tutorials. Um, sounds Sounds strange, but I think that I started to go by the rule where, you know, you spend about 5% of your time watching tutorials because it's still important to learn new things, of course. Yeah. 
But I think as soon as I started dedicating pretty much 95% of my time sitting there with Ableton in front of me working on just my own stuff, that's when I started learning more and more because with time you you just you're bound to, you know, discover new tricks and different sounds and you know, different production skills. So I think, yeah, it's really important to try and read and about all the new techniques and, and watch different tutorials, but try not to get carried away with that because you'll just waste time not making music, if that makes sense. Right. And not creating your own sound because you're trying to like mimic somebody else. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with doing it in the beginning, but make sure you have the self-control to, you know, turn off YouTube and just sit there and do it yourself. I love it. That's great advice. Yeah. You know, I yeah. use I use a dog called Studio One, and I've been using mm -hmm. a lot of the stock plugins here recently. And what yeah. you just said there really hit home because I found a couple of stock plugins that are just killer that I wasn't even using, and I'm sure not a lot of other people are using because unless they're using Studio One, they just don't have them. But it's giving yeah. me kind of like my unique sound now, just those plugs. So you're right. You know, just yeah. get in front of your doll and start writing. And and you'll be surprised how rewarding that is because. You know, like you said, once once you've made those sounds on Studio One, how much better do you feel that you've sat there and you know you didn't have to follow any any instructions and you've now saved those presets and they're yours? Right. Yeah, it's very rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we end it off or end off, you did talk mm -hmm. about DJing a little bit. Let's touch on that for a bit. Um, you've been playing gigs out uh, recently. It looks like from Facebook and other places. So. Yeah, I, I've been doing things here and there, but um, I still think that at this stage, the producing has been the bigger focus. I mean, Sydney, where I live, is a very difficult market to break through with DJing, believe it or not, because it's a very small place. Um, there's a lot of sort of different, you know, crews going on. And unless you're out there in the scene constantly, it's very hard to get regular uh, gigs. And that's why, you know, like through friends and different people in the industry, myself and Lucas Sambay have done quite a few gigs this year. But, um, you know, we're, we're sort of like building up our music arsenal at the moment and we really want to next year. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, it looks like you have a lot of fun doing it. And uh, do you have any tips for people out there on DJing? On DJing? Yeah. Um, yeah, again, like, please don't do, don't, you know, favorite artist sets and just copy the set list and try and go out there and do the same, you know, dig deep with your track selections because just cause it's not the most popular song at the time, you know, you can always mix it up and find some rare older stuff that people might not have heard recently. And, you know, you'll still get the crowd going crazy if you do it right. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I think I think you just really need to try, you know, by being original, you don't need to be strange or completely left field, but just try and have your own little flavor on what you're doing and at some stage someone will people will start sort of respecting that and wanting to follow you. That's amazing advice, man. I love it. Thanks, man. So where can people find out more about you and hear all your music? So obviously SoundCloud dot com slash filter bear is where all of my music sits at the moment there's i do have quite exciting ep 
two exciting EPs coming out early next year um, on a label called Arch 44 Music and also a New Zealand New Zealand label called Arm um Records. So that's all January, February next year. Um, but, I mean, at the moment, all my music is on all the online stores, Beatport, iTunes, Spotify and all that. And I'm on Twitter at FilterBear and Facebook.com slash FilterBear. So it's not very hard to follow. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Michael, thank you so much for doing this interview, man. You gave such awesome information. It's really going to help a lot of people. Thank you very much, Steve. And like I said before, I'm very um, happy that you had me on the show. Absolutely. I'd love to have you come on in the future. I mean, you know, uh, it sounds like you have a long career ahead of you. So maybe we'll hit, we'll touch bases again. I hope so. Thank you very much. Sure thing. Well, that's going to be it for the producer podcast for today. See you next time.